Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Harry. Let's go. Let's go to New York City. You know what? I'm going to just stop the opening intro right now, and I'm going to say, guys, just stop this and go watch the movie. It's a good movie. Uh, I'm, I'm mad that I've never heard of this movie before. It was... <laughs> There was a lot of physical comedy, so you can't write the physical comedy. And then there were a lot of really funny one-liners. And, I mean, the two of them, Walter Matthau was freaking hilarious in this movie. And not at all typecast. No. I didn't feel like he was typecast because usually he's a, a well, he, he is an old curmudgeon, but he was typecast as a as a very wealthy dude he was so rich it was great the intro the opening of this movie <laughs> like the first 20 minutes of this film i was crying there were tears streaming down my face because uh, i was like this how do we not know about this movie what mm -hmm. a great injustice yeah so the, name, the movie is called A New Leaf, 1971. Go watch it and then come back to us. Yeah, really. Put us on pause. Yep. I mean, if you... Because this is like... This should be up there with the great screwball comedies of all time. Yeah. yeah. His Girl Friday, Bringing Up Baby, Philadelphia Story. Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks. Yeah. Man. All right. So... Okay, particulars, please. A New Leaf, 1971. It was released by Paramount Pictures on March 11th, 1971. It has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. That hardly ever happens. And an 87% on Google. So again, if you stop, go watch it, come back. We're not blowing smoke up your ass. <laughs> it's the directorial debut of Elaine May, who... Was by this, she was super famous as a comedian because she was part of the Nichols and May duo, the great in comedy the duo in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Um, so she also directed The Heartbreak Kid, Mickey and Nikki, and Ishtar. She wrote the co wrote The Birdcage. No, I think she wrote The Birdcage that Mike Nichols directed. She was an American screenwriter, film director, actress, and comedian. Um, Nichols and May, they broke up in 1961. She got an Oscar nomination for writing Heaven Can Wait and Primary Colors. She was mm -hmm. an actress. We saw her in a brief cameo in The Graduate when she gives the guy the note. She was also in Small Time Crooks. Um, she was a co-writer for Reds, Uncredited on Tootsie, Labyrinth, Dangerous Minds. In 2018, she um, was on Broadway in the Waverly Gallery, and it was the hottest ticket on Broadway to see her. She's like eight in her 80s and gave a, they said an extraordinary, one of the most extraordinary performances ever on Broadway. Mm-hmm. As I was reading in Wikipedia about Elaine May, everyone who came in contact with her basically said, yes, yeah, she's a genius. And yet 
You've never heard of her, have you, listeners? Well, you've heard of her because you're like, oh, yeah, Nichols in May. When I was reading all about Mike Nichols and all of his awards and doodads and everything, because, you know, he went on to become one of the great American film directors and stage directors. He was Mike freaking Nichols. But no, have, has anybody heard of A New Leaf? It's a cult classic. The Injustice. And the rest of the particulars. The screenplay was by Elaine May. The story was by Jack Ritchie. It was uh, based on his short story, The Green Heart. This guy, Jack Ritchie, he wrote over 500 short stories. Most of them, um, Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine bought 123 of them. And some of those then later became Alfred Hitchcock Presents from his TV show. The music was by Neil Hefty. He also composed the music for The Odd Couple, both the movie and the TV. He wrote Charge for Count Basie. He did music for Barefoot in the Park. And he wrote the Batman TV theme. (gasps) Batman! Yep. It was edited by Don Goodice. He also co-edited Three Days of the Condor. He was an assistant editor on The Greatest Story Ever Told, an assistant direct editor on They Shoot Horses, Don't They, an assistant editor on Jeremiah Johnson. He also edited Tilt and Police Academy 2, their first assignment. And the other editor was Frederick Steinkamp. He got an Oscar for editing Grand Prix. He also edited They Shoot Horses, Don't They, Three Three Days of the Condor, Tootsie, out of Africa. Mm. It's starring Elaine May as Henrietta Lowell, Walter Matthau as Henry Graham. We know Mr. Matthau from The Odd Couple, Failsafe, The Fortune Cookie, Hello Dolly, The Bad News Bears, JFK, Dennis the Menace, Grumpy Old Men, Hanging Up, and so much more. Yes. He's Walter Matthau. Um, Jack Weston as Andy McPherson, the lawyer. He was in Imitation of Life, Wait Until Dark, the 1968 The Thomas Crown Affair, Dirty Dancing, Ishtar, Short Circuit 2, and tons of TV. We have George. Tons of TV. Yeah, George Rose. He played Harold, the butler. He was in. The Pickwick Papers, A Night to Remember, the TV series Beacon Hill, the American version of Upstairs Downstairs. He was big time on Broadway. He won two Tony Awards. And I have a really big nerd alert for later. Ooh, Remind me, though, because I have it in my notes now, but I feel like now is not the time nor place to get into it. Ah, okay. Okay, we also have James Coco um, as Uncle Harry. He was in Man of La Mancha, The Muppets Take Manhattan, Who's the Boss? He got an Emmy for St. Elsewhere, who's also in The Carol Burnett Show. Doris Roberts, she was Mrs. Taggart. A very young Doris Roberts. Uh Uh-huh, she was in The Honeymoon Killers, Rabbit Test, Number One with a Bullet, Remington Steel, and probably most famous to the listeners, 
Marie Barone from Everyone Loves Raymond. Exactly. Isn't that crazy? Last week we had Taxi Driver with Peter Boyle, who was the dad. And now this week we're doing a movie with the mom. That's true. His wife in the show. Wow. Oh, Ray. Then we have Renee Taylor. She played Sally Hart. She's she was a comedian in the 1960s. She was in the producers Delirious. She was in Dream On. She listened to her her opening act was this unknown little known singer at the time unknown singer named Barbara Streisand. Whoa. Barbara Streisand opened for her. Wow. Most people probably know her best, however, as Fran Drescher's mother in The Nanny. (laughs) And we have David Doyle. He played Mel, and he was in so much TV. He's most famously known as Bosley in Charlie's Angels. Yes, yes, I went Bosley. So there you have it. Okay. Well, it starts with like a heart monitor. And so you assume. Oh, one of the great openings. Heart is being monitored. And then you find out the heart monitor is for his beloved car, his Ferrari. William Mathau in this, Henry Graham actually, had an affinity for different types of transportation that needed helmets. <laughs> He's always, the man's always wearing a helmet, but he, he why was, did he need a helmet for the Ferrari? He was always wearing a helmet. And it was looked like it was too small. Yes, it did. It just sat on top of his head. And the Ferrari was, as sports cars are known to do, always needing to be in the shop. Yes, there's so many great lines about it. Carbon on the cylinders. Carbon mm. on the valves. Everything valves. has carbon on the valves. Okay, then you see him riding horses, where, of course, he has on a riding helmet. <laughs> but the point is, he's ignoring this phone call that, that everyone, this person is trying to get in touch with him, and he's ignoring it. He's being rich. He is then being rich and loving it. Then he's on an airplane, not wearing a helmet. But, yeah, he is totally avoiding this whoever is trying to get in touch with him. And the airplane is finicky because it also has carbon on the valves. Yeah, you'll be hearing about carbon on the valves a lot. And then he is in a club. It's like a gentleman's club, right? Yeah, it was quite gentleman's. I believe it's it's the room where it happens. And... and, um, the person at the club is telling him that his bank has said that he has insufficient funds. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he has been all these places he's been a Ferrari, obviously. And the riding of the horses was very foo she, she, and the airplane was quite upper class. And the club is quite upper class. Oh, wait, wait, Mark, because I forgot to write it down, but it reminded me that this was, this is one of my, I guess it's one of my reheatables. I have so many reheatables in this, but I had to mention it because I was laughing. I was laughing so hard at this. He's sitting in the club and the guy is talking to him about 
I, you can tell he has trees. He had some sort of a tree thing. And the guy's going on and on about the tree thing. And Walter Matthau's face, as the guy's going on and on about the tree thing, is the face that that I know that I make at work a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that a lot of people will get when you're just listening and you're, you just don't care. Or you're like, what are you talking about? And you just can't believe it what but you can't do anything or say anything and you're just staring straight ahead like are you like is this really happening oh i just i loved it and then the guy comes up to him and tells me he has insufficient funds so so you see uh henry graham at the beginning of this movie very very rich but also um a touch on the spectrum Oh, he, uh, yeah, he totally has like an Asperger's and he's rich, though. So that compounds it. You don't know where the Asperger's starts and stops and where rich dick starts and stops. Rich privilege. Yeah, because he wants things done in a specific way. Um, and he's quite verbal about how things need to be done and, and they all need to be done to the utmost of the upper crustness that they can be done yes okay so um he goes to his banker finally it was his banker who's been trying to get in touch with him all this time and the banker is explaining to him that he has been living beyond his means for quite a while and the truth is he is now broke Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> what what could this possibly mean? And the guy's like, you've exceeded when you're, when what you're, you're in your expenses exceed your income and you dip into capital <laughs> and you exhausted your capital. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, um, and so he is going around saying goodbye to his good life. Oh my God. Gosh, when he walks out of the, the banker's office and he's on the street and it's a nerd alert, it's it's a handheld camera shot and it's in the city and the sound they, they're piping in like the sound of chirping birds, which you wouldn't hear because you're on a city street. And you can just tell that it's handheld and people are walking around and Walter Rathbow, just the look on his face. And then he just says. And the way he says it, that's why you got to watch the movie. Because the way he says this, I lost it. I have not laughed this hard at a movie in I don't know how long. He just goes, I'm poor. <laughs> and then he just starts walking aimlessly down the street. And he's just like, I'm poor. And then he gets into his car and he's got his helmet on. And, he, and I know it, it's it's some fancy street in New York. And he's just looking out the window going, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. And he proceeds to go around to all of his like rich places and things that he used to do or own. And is just saying goodbye to them all. He goes to his tailor 
and like yes. shakes the tailor's hand and it's like goodbye he goes to his like one of his restaurants as he's walking down the street he puts his hand along the canopy that's the restaurant and he's touching the fence and everything and he comes in the restaurant and the maitre d puts on his his jacket and is like oh sir do you want a table for one we're just setting up and he's just like no i just wanted to take one last look at the room and he leaves he goes to like the polo grounds it says goodbye to the horses he puts on the the polo hat and the stick and he does like another helmet and another helmet and he's like goal and he and then he just starts breaking down as soon as he does the goal i was i was like i'm in i am so in on this movie already i have laughed harder then I can remember laughing at a movie. I think the last time I laughed this hard was Arsenio Hall's scene in Harlem Nights. <laughs> and it feels so good to laugh. Yeah. It so, is so funny. His performance I, is so good. Yeah, and so much of it we can't, I mean, you have to see it because it's nonverbal and it's just, you have to see it. And, the, and I'm assuming he's going to go stick his head in the oven. He's going to commit suicide. <laughs> but no. He goes home. And um, he he is a bit like Dan Aykroyd. Oh, my gosh. This comes full circle. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when Dan Aykroyd in... Um, trading. Trading places. places. Um, was such an ass with his with that stick up his ass and and he treated the butler so badly well this butler's name is harold mm -hmm. and harold doesn't want him to be broke because that means harold has to go find a different job yeah well he breaks it to him he's his harold is i mean harold is probably the best butler i've seen in movies like if I had a butler, I would he want it to be Harold. What you mean. He's yeah. like he is a professional. He is elite level. His dream. He was the kid that would like went to sleep at night, and he didn't dream of becoming a soccer player or a baseball player or mm -hmm. a rock star. He dreamed of becoming a butler. And I forget a what they call it. A gentleman's gentleman. gentleman. He probably tried to apply to the gentleman's gentleman school that does like the royal stuff in England. Yeah. Probably didn't get in. So he had to settle for this guy. And but here's the thing. So when he comes in, when when Henry comes home, he he breaks it to him like this. He says, Harold, what would you do if I didn't have any money and harold says well i would put in my two weeks notice so then they get to talking and he, um you know henry lets it out he's like what should i do i'm i don't have any skills I, it's not like i can get a job i don't i don't have any education all i know how to be is be rich and while this whole scene's taking place harold is undressing henry and taking him out of his, his work clothes and putting him into his leisure wear. As a gentleman's gentleman would, not as, you know, like um, 
a slutty sex scene. Yeah, this is gen- this is all work. This is gentleman's gentleman. He's getting like a, an ascot and a smoking jacket put on him, and you know he's like, well, what left? Do- what do I have left to do? And I think Harold asks Henry that, and Henry says, I guess I commit suicide. And Harold says, whoa, no, you don't have to commit suicide. You would do what all gentlemen in your position who have no uh, skills or anything, you would do what they've always done. You would get married and acquire your wealth through your wife. Um, Yes, because as he's being undressed, he says, how can I acquire property without working for it? Mm -hmm. And then he says, there is no such thing as genteel poverty. (laughs) (laughs) So then the butler says, can't you borrow enough from your uncle just to keep up appearances until you can you know, hook a rich wife. Yes. Well, he says hook a rich wife. And then at some point he's, he says hook a rich wife and get rid of her. He, Harold says something and it's the get rid of her part that Henry really latches onto. And so, and the audience does too. And at this point, the audience knows, Oh, Harold's going to marry a rich broad and off her. And then he doesn't want, He's like, no, I don't want to get married, Harold, because then I'll have to deal. She'll always be asking me where I'm going and all of this stuff. And then he's like. He was definitely against marriage. Yes. Well, he didn't want anyone in his life other than Harold and um, his bank account. Yes. Uh, uh, He didn't need friends. He didn't need companionship. He just needed his money and his butler. Yeah, very kind of reminded me of you. (laughs) I knew I was like, (coughs) no. So he he calls his uncle, and his uncle laughs hysterically. Nerd Uh, alert! I love that shot. I I don't know if exactly how they did it, but I know that how I would have done it is they did um they did a close up of the uncle laughing. And then I would do that like on a green screen and then take out the background and superimpose it with the background of Henry. And it's just his giant mouth and it's the way his mouth is fitting in. It makes Henry like he's in the mouth. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I don't know mm-hmm. who came up with that, but hats off. The uncle reminded me a lot of Dom DeLuise. Yeah, he, he had- wasn't Dom DeLuise, but he looked a lot like Dom DeLuise. And he was eating such a huge spread. Yeah, it was a huge he, spread of food. He cut a banana in half, like a, a banana that had not been peeled in half and put it on his plate. And then he had a hot thing that he would lift up, like that they have at brunches that have the sausages and eggs in it. And he yeah, lifted with the, that with up. With the Bunsen burner underneath. Mm-hmm. It's not Bunsen burner, but. Yeah, but the thing that keeps it warm and stuff. And he had a, a super long fork to stick in there. I was checking out the guy's spread. Definitely. There was a lot of food. I saw he started with caviar. Oh. I was kind of into that. He was he was a rotund uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so he actually goes to visit the uncle to ask for this 
uh, loan. And he's already expressed to Harold how his uncle hates him. So it's not going to go well, but he's going to try it anyway. So um, at this point, the uncle picks up a battery operated pepper grinder. Mm -hmm. I was impressed with the battery operated pepper grinder. <laughs> That looked so cool. <laughs> I'm okay. sure they have one at Sharper Image. I'm sure they do. Um, okay, so the uncle's going, when he stops laughing, uh, okay, so what kind of collateral are we talking about? Because I know that you're not going to give me back this 50000 you want, uh, and so I need some collateral. So... Um, Henry goes, well, you can have all of my sculptures, all of my paintings. And the uncle goes, what? What What was that last thing? No, 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 no. The Ferrari. He'd even give up the Ferrari for this $50,000. Six weeks. And um, if, Her if Henry didn't uh, have a positive proposal, which means a yes answer, then the uncle would get all that. He had six weeks to get a woman to agree to marry him. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Well, he's in the club and well, he asks his friends to find women for him. Um, but then he's, he's not happy with any of them because they talk and he's not interested in the conversation and they kind of require some attention from you, and he's not interested in that. So he's at a club. And it they have like to, he, ideally, he's always asking, oh, do you, how many, you know, who's in your family? What right, family do you Because he has have to have left? somebody with no appendages. Because mm -hmm, he, right, because he wants to be left all the money, and he wants to get rid of them. Right. So he's in a club, and there is this woman who cannot keep <laughs> she can't keep food on her little plate and she cannot keep liquid in her teacup <laughs> i mean she just spills everything and he's going i think i found the perfect person because it's not gonna be hard to kill her because she's extremely clumsy mm -hmm. and he finds out that yes she is indeed quite rich she's very wealthy no she has no appendages. Mm -hmm. She has no family. The father died with wealth intact. <laughs> yes. Um, and it was evidently an enormously healthy um, bank account. Mm -hmm. She's young. She's dowdy. She has on oversized glasses that keep sliding down. And she's a botanist. Not that all botanists are nerdy, but she is quite. Mm -hmm. And um, she is the most isolated woman he's ever met. And I put on the spectrum. She oh, she's definitely on the spectrum. Yeah, she is. And she's perfect. And at this point, he comes over to talk to her and she spills her second <laughs> cup of tea on the abusum rug and the hostess is bullying her yeah because the first time she dropped it the hostess 
you could tell the hostess was quite upset, but she's the, she's, I'm being a host. I'm going to be polite. So she says, oh dear. And she helps her do it. And then she gives another cup of tea. And when she does it the second time, the hostess says, oh, this is a joke, right? You're joking. You're doing this on purpose. You're mean. And she's like, she says, no, I'm not doing this. So what? I'm clumsy. Yeah, she's extremely clumsy. So Henry jumps to her defense and he strikes down that bully and he takes Henrietta home. But not before taking his drink and pouring it on the rug. And he says something about, ma'am, you have a very immoral fixation on the cleanliness of your rug. And he like, he pours his scotch on the rug and takes Henrietta home. But if it were his rug, he would have been dying. But he found his inn. He found his inn. Okay. On the way home, the car breaks down. So they have to spend a night. Uh, what? Where does she live in the Hamptons or something? Because it's out in the country. Yeah, she lives some some you know rich. And they they spend the night in the car, but they they talk, and he is winning her over. And the next morning, the call, car is um, towed away with them still in the car, and they are having a date tonight. Mm-hmm. he is wooing her and one of the things that happened that was so cool so they were at a table for two in a rest in a fancy dancy restaurant and she was like um behind this table on like a um uh, uh, what is that called when you sit, sit on it, it goes all the way across the room a booth uh yeah, it's like a booth on her side, and he has a chair. Mm-hmm. Well, when she gets up, the waiter just pulls the table away so she doesn't have to scooch and get her <laughs> butt in the person next to her, hit them with her purse as she gets out. Yeah, they're not at Outback, Ma. <laughs> pulls the table away, and she can get up and walk out without... I was so impressed with that. He pulls the table away so you see all of her breadcrumbs in her lap. And I that, that tickled me. That tickled My favorite me. is still coming. My favorite hasn't happened yet. She had all these, because that's what I look like when I get up. I looked down today after lunch and just started <laughs> laughing because I thought about the movie. Well, it's the next day yet because you can't watch this movie and not look at yourself after you've eaten to see how how much you have left on yourself. My children used to say, would Ma have for lunch by looking at my shirt? So, um, yeah. So it's the next day. He's with Harold and Harold saying, we got five days. We got five days. You got to You got to nail this down you got to seal this deal he has to propose did i I already mention how like how harold um harold's rooting for him because harold loves how henry is keeping alive all of the forgotten gentlemanly tasks because it's (laughs) it's getting into 1971 and a lot of the stuff is you know people don't do it anymore but 
Harold, it might. He's, he's like, you are holding up the torch. You are keeping the traditions alive, the gentlemanly traditions alive. That made me laugh. And this is where we find out that that Henry is pretty much disgusted with Henrietta. I mean, he thought she would be an easy target, but he cannot handle what a mess she is. Well, she is a mess. And he says my favorite line. She has to be vacuumed every time she eats. <laughs> I know that feeling. Okay, well, it's the night. I mean, he's disgusted by her, but he needs the money. And he's going to offer anyway, so how long is it going to take? Mm-hmm. So he tries to propose to her. There's all kinds of antics that go on. Finally, he does propose to her. And <laughs> somehow they have broken the wine glass and he goes down on one knee and is actually puts his knee in the broken wine glass to propose to her but he goes through with it because he's it's i on the prize i on the prize on the prize um and uh, he just he said at one point kneeling on broken glass is my pastime and there was more to it but i couldn't write it's the rest past- of it because something else my, happened it's great for my posture <laughs> and it's and most of it is how he's delivering the lines too yes. it's so funny because yes. you know he cannot stand this woman but he uh, yeah and he has to fake this okay well he says, you know, hey, let's get married. And is this Saturday too soon? <laughs> I love that. Let's, yeah, you want to get married? Yeah. Oh, what about Saturday? And she wasn't like. Um, she wasn't. She wasn't she's not. She's on the spectrum. She's so yeah. flighty. She is brilliant at being a botanist because she's also a teacher at the university and she teaches her botany. But so you can't say she's dumb, but she just doesn't have any other. I don't know how she is functioned. Basic. Yeah. On her own. Yes. Yeah. Well, we find that she has a staff at her house, but we aren't there yet. Um, so. But but it's not like she wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I have to get married to, to complete my life. But then she met him and he had done research on her. So he knew what to say mm-hmm. that would make her think, Oh my gosh, this is my soulmate. He actually cares about botany. And, and so, um, so she is happy to accept his proposal. Well, um, it comes down that he's going to have to get the money during the honeymoon to be able to to pay off his creditors and to be able to live the high life again because he plans on killing her on the honeymoon yes so she has to sign over everything to him he's been reading about toxology because since she's into botany (laughs) he says "Mm, i will make it look like an accident and there's a really funny shot nerd alert when they're are we at the honeymoon yet, or are you doing the wedding? Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Not yet, because um, he is repelled by her, and at one point he tells Harold she doesn't deserve to live. <laughs> well, she has to go to her 
her her lawyer, who is what's his name in real um, life? In real life, I think he was Jack Weston. Jack Weston, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lawyer has been trying to propose to her all along because he wants her money, and yes. he's been skimming a whole lot off the top. Everyone's been skimming off for right. her. He only has one client, and that's her. I mean, yeah. she is his lifeline. And so he does, he tries everything to get her not to marry Henry. So it's not like she was desperate to get married because she could have married this lawyer, but he wasn't into botany. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she asked the lawyer to come to the wedding and give her away because he's the closest she has to a dad. Okay, that got a little creepy. Okay. <clears throat> well, she's so, the closest living relative that, I mean, he's not living relative, but the closest relative that she has. Right. So she, he's the closest family. Right. But he doesn't want to be considered that way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that lawyer, Jack Weston, meets with Henrietta and Henry. And the lawyer has found out that Henry is indeed broke. And that's why he's marrying Henrietta. And it comes down to it. But somehow, Walter Matthau manages to spin a web and turn it all around so that she goes, well, let's make sure he's on my accounts right now, even before the wedding. Yeah. I mean, Walter Matthau as Henry has, and even at one point, Harold will say this later, but it you could be pointed out now. The guy said that he had no skills in life, but obviously he does. Oh, he has a, he has some particular set of skills. He does have a special particular set of skills because he has weaseled his way into this woman's life, and has been so trusting. And you're, you just, just it's too good to be true. But she's not seeing it, and everything that he by this time, everything that he says, it's true. She has no reason to doubt him. Right. Because the lawyer is saying, why did you need a loan for $50,000 if not to woo Henrietta to get her money? Oh, and the speech he gives. Oh, my gosh. But the gist of it is, I used the loan of $50,000 to get my affairs in order so that I could then go kill myself with a good conscience. Mm -hmm. But I met Henrietta. And I couldn't kill myself. She saved me. She saved my life. And I mean, Henrietta hears this and... Put him on my bank account right now. Anything this man wants. Well, it's the wedding. And there's a little girl who looks just like Henrietta. What was her relation? She was the flower girl. I don't what was- know. I think her oh. relation was just so that we could see Walter Matthau just be funny, being Aspergery. Evidently, um, it, the the ceremony is taking place in in his townhouse. It was a town. I mean, it was a nice place. It had modern art. 
And the girl, this little girl, maybe eight, nine, is going around touching everything, and he cannot stand it. You know, if he had uh, Clorox wipes, he it was before Clorox wipes, he I would mean, be wiping everything down. But this is his place, and there's this 10-year-old girl. He doesn't know her. In, in Matthau's defense... Now, true, you could say, like, well, it's a wedding. There's going to be strangers there. Yeah. But I also kind of got his point, just understanding where his character's coming from. She, she doesn't, She's old enough to know better than to be touching on stuff that doesn't belong to her. Uh, agree. Yeah, she's a germ factory. Okay, well, uh, he throws her out of the room. He's, he's ugly to her. And I thought, that's going to come back to bite him. But it didn't. Nah. It was okay, just funny. So- the little girl's the flower girl. The lawyer walks uh, Henrietta down the aisle. And, and as he's walking her down the aisle, he's saying, don't do this. I love you. Marry me. Don't go through with this. But um, he cries through the ceremony. <laughs> At this point, an hour has passed. Oh, you're off the clock. I'm off the clock. But the honeymoon happens. And there's a funny scene in the honeymoon where in the foreground, Henry's reading a book on it's called Basics of Toxicology or a Beginner's Guide to Toxicology. And behind him is Henrietta, who has a rope tied to her waist. But that was brilliant. And uh, it's tied to something else. And she's hanging over the edge of a cliff because her dream as a botanist is to discover a new species and then she can name the species after herself and it will be like uh, live in infamy forever she'll be immortal right and so that's what she's looking for so she 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 sees it and he's all absorbed in his toxicology book and it's just funny because he's reading about how to kill her to make it look like an accident and meanwhile she's hanging over this cliff with just a rope around her waist, and she's the clumsiest woman ever. So all he had to do was loosen yeah, that rope. All he had, to, like he, he has, to, he just has to turn around and look and say, "This is where it happens," and he does it. And oh, it was—it's just funny. But she does find a fern that she does not believe has been classified before. Well, she she doesn't know, but she's. Sh- She's kind of fairly certain that it has been. But she says, just in case, I'm going to take it back and make sure. And then we have the wedding night. Mm-hmm. Where she has the, the Grecian gown. Oh, my God. That's two minutes <laughs> of slapstick comedy that you have to see. Because she are. doesn't have the gown on correct. It's a Grecian gown that is a one-shoulder thing. But she has her head through the armhole, which I have done in the past. <laughs> and try, and he's trying to get her to wear it properly. And I feel like that is when he starts to have a little bit of feeling for her. Well, because he's very patient with her. So much more patient than you would be with me. <laughs> yes. And it is kind of funny because this is... This is you and I. I am kind of like Walter Matthau. You are kind of like Henrietta. Your your clumsiness and stuff. So yes, I would. The other arm. 
Here, let me put the glasses down. Mother, take it off. <laughs> but he's whistling at one point, and he that's how my dad used to whistle. Oh, I loved really? his whistling. Okay, so there's this whole sequence of the armhole and the neck hole that, um, and she keeps saying, I'm sorry to be so much trouble. And he goes, that's okay. It's not for that long. <laughs> yeah. He keeps having these little slips that the audience knows it's because you're getting murdered. But he the, like plays it off very well. And, and actually, there is a sequence of them in a canoe going down rapids where she could have actually died. And he ends up maybe well, saving her, maybe not. Well, because so that turns out that Fern really hadn't been classified so she gets to name it and she names it after henry and he after a man yeah instead of herself yeah and he even says well you you should change it you should be named after you you're the one that found it and she goes back to that speech that he made before they got married about how he gave her all the confidence and she wouldn't have found it if it hadn't been for him. So she mm -hmm. took a piece of the fern and put it as a token and put it around his neck. And he he was very touched by that because he says, well, now I'm going to live in infamy. So you could right. tell that that kind that touched him. So then when they're on the canoe, she it's funny because he goes, huh? It's a lot easier to paddle now. And she goes, yeah, the, the river really picked up now that we're getting close to those rapids. And that reminded me of the time that I went whitewater rafting. Was it in Germany? I think so. I, I know that I went like as a kid and it was, so? and it was supposed to be these little rapids. <laughs> but at one point, you could, you know, it was supposed to be, you could just tell that the guides didn't realize how rapidy at what point it was going to get. Because it I got super whitewater rapidy. And like, I was hanging on to dear life. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I wish you knew where this was. I'm pretty sure it was in Germany. It well, seemed like it was, was something. Not aware. It seemed like it was something that your friends had, had heard about oh, and they were more. They were more naturey, and so they were going, and so it was like, oh yeah, was do you it guys Lucy? Do it? Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, it would be her. Yeah, yeah. And so we went, and it was it. It was like, oh, there's gonna be like a few like little rapids and stuff. They're like, don't worry, because it was all a bunch of kids, and the guy. Yeah, she would have taken all the kids. Yeah. Depending on what color you were wearing on the playground that day. Well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we went, and I know that it, at one point it got a little rougher than I think the people thought it was going to get. Or maybe that was just my little kid memory. But I remember being, like, almost bouncing out of that thing. Oh, my God, I didn't know anything about this. Yeah, just so, so when they had the rapids and stuff, I was like, oh, snap. So they're going through the rapids, and then they're wondering, oh, man, when's it going to end? When's it going to end? And he's, he's squinting. He says, I don't know. It just stops. And she hears the noise. She says, you know what? Uh, Henry, that sounds like rap uh, waterfall. And she's yeah, excited. It doesn't just stop, Henry. 
And he goes, oh, my God, it's a waterfall. So he says, go to the shore, go to the shore. Do they go over the waterfall? She does. Oh, so he, he gets, he somehow gets well, out. They and, get capsized. Waterfall. And then he has to. Uh, well, they get he, capsized and he, he can swim. So he swims and he gets out. And she is say as she's holding on to a branch. Right. I can't swim. Yeah. And so he's, he's taking off his shoes and he says, okay, hang on until I tell you to let go. And so he's sitting down, taking the water out of his shoes and he's practicing his story to himself. How many times have we seen the husband on Dateline say these exact words? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I didn't know we were rafting and we hit the rapids and it capsized. And I didn't know that she couldn't swim. She should have told me she couldn't swim beforehand. And he's taking it out. And then he happens to look on the banks of the river and he says oh and he sees the fern that's named after him and he yells out to her and he, he says oh that's right she's <laughs> she's hanging on she's for dear life right in the in the river and he goes to to check it to because he wants to make sure that it is and he doesn't have his token and he says it came off in the water i i lost my fern i lost it and just the way that he he acts this out, you know that he's not really talking about the fern. Yeah. And he goes, oh, I have to save her. So he gets in and he says, okay, I'm ready for you. Let go. And she, he, he, well, he, he walks her through everything because she has to have Asperger's because she's not an idiot. But he has to say. Asperger's isn't a thing anymore, but it is a. a what? Um, no. It, yeah, I know. It's just a point on the spectrum. like So you just say on the spectrum? As, yeah, and st- instead of Asperger's and fully involved. Well, what say. about Asperger? Because this ties into the movie because she wanted a species and she, he, they name-checked Parkinson's as how, like Parkinson's disease. So you're telling me that Asperger's has gotten his name revoked? Yes. Damn, Asperger. I know. Uh, maybe maybe the Me Too movement happened. I don't know. That's just to- <laughs> you, totally conjecture. I just, did no research you on that. You just threw Asperger into the Me Too. I'm with- sorry, Miss Aspergers. I'm really sorry. Th- yeah, th- that term is not used anymore. Wow. And it's, it's a Miss Aspergers or Mr. Aspergers came up with it? On the lighter end of the spectrum. Uh <laughs> We well, might as well. I mean, we stuck our foot in it. We might as well continue. That's me. <laughs> it's not politically correct. Asperger's got me too. So we have to stop saying Asperger's. That's not true. We don't know that people. We don't know that. Do not it was quote merely, me on that. That was merely a joke. Do not Do go not to the AP. Do not take this to court. We, yeah, we have no idea. <sighs> exactly. We don't have money for court. <laughs> Anyway, so he might save her. He might not. He might go to her house and find out that her household staff has been skimming a a lot of money or not. (laughs) And, uh, okay, is there anything else you need to say about the movie? I mean, I'll say the rest in the... 
In the in the stuff, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So POC count should be pretty freaking easy. <laughs> oh well, well, well. Now let me find where I put in the nose. So we had two boys who were running when he was doing his goodbyes in the car, running alongside him in the street. We have really? the Hawaiian bellboy. We oh, had Hawaiian. We had two black people in the background in the airport. And we had Erica, the new housekeeper. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six. The housekeeper he hired after he got rid of Doris Roberts because she was living the high life. Yeah, she was. She had a scam going. They all did. Okay, so nerd alerts. You wanted us to go back to something. Okay, so nerd. Let me find it. In my notes, because it's gonna be worth the wait. Well, okay, so it's involving George Rose. Who's George Rose? George George Rose played Harold, the gentleman's. Oh, gentleman. Harold! Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. He won two Tony Awards. He was an uh, he like as far as stage. At, well, he was an, a renowned actor, but he wasn't a, a huge name. But he did win two Tony Awards. And so, and he did a lot of plays. He because I've seen him on a lot of TV. Okay, but not like a star, not like a starring role, or you know, like guest spots. Right. In 1984, he bought a holiday home in the Dominican Republic. He was gay, and he had no immediate family nor permanent partner. And it was reported that he desperately wanted an heir. Oh, this doesn't sound good. Yeah, that's why I pushed it. So he took in a local 14-year-old boy, <gasps> and he supported him financially. And he planned to leave his estate to him. He had, So that guy is becoming his heir. Right. He just, he's adopted him. He, he adopted the boy, you know, paperwork and everything, in January of 1988. May 5th, 1988, while he was on a two-week hiatus from the national tour of The Mystery of Edwin Drood, um, he had won a Tony Award, I think, for an earlier revival or whatever. My tummy hurts. He was tortured and beaten to death by the adopted son, the boy's biological father, an uncle, and a friend of the father. Harold, the dude was beaten yes. and tortured to death mm -hmm. by his adopted Be son the adopted son's biological father an uncle and a friend of the father's because of what he had done to the 14 year old they tried to make it look like a car accident so they put his <gasps> they beat him and then they put his body in the car and they pushed the car over a ravine hmm. so I when I read that in Wikipedia Total downer. I clicked on the New York Times article that they had digitized from that time. And there were, so they said that, so it initially looked like it was a car accident. A car accident. And then the neighbor was suspicious. It was like, I don't know, because, and um, so we'll get to her story later. 
And so then they like looked into it and they went to question the boy and the boy confessed and he, he, he was 18 and he said that he felt jealousy of a, another boy who was also living in our house for whom Mr. Rose was feeling affection. Oh my God! Does this tie into leaving Neverland? So I mean, when I read, that's why that's why I did the nerd alert because when I read that he had been beaten and tortured to death by his adopted son, and then the boy's father, and then the uncle, and then a friend, I was like, um, that red flags, red flags. So the father felt angry that the actor this is according to the father felt angry that the actor deceived his son at age 14 to satisfy his sexual desires yes which that kind of seemed like that's where it was going justifiable beating maybe but the neighbor of george who was the one that told that you know told the consulate that came out to to the crime scene? Hey, I think that this is suspicious. The neighbor told George that, or the neighbor told the the authorities, and the New York Times in this article that George never touched the boy, and that it was like a father son relationship. But the neighbor, you know, she didn't know what happens ex- behind closed exactly. Doors. But she did say that George was going to change his will because he was, according to the lady, that George was angry that the boy was not taking care of a business that he had set up for the boy to take care of. So, I mean, I None of that sounds okay. I didn't, like, but to me... In knowing the times and stuff that we live in, I understand, like, oh, you want an heir and maybe you want to adopt a child. I think that maybe then that you would adopt a baby and raise that baby. It Go seems through the proper odd channels. that you get a home in the Dominican Republic and yeah. then you adopt a local 14-year-old boy. Yeah. Um, and then it's the 14 year old boy gets angry and jealous yeah. because there's another, another new boy one. living in the house oh. with you. So okay, my tummy hurts. I was just like, I don't know, nothing is, you know, but knowing what I know now about life and how things work, that seems very suspicious, George. Yeah, that seems and, you know, that you got beat by basically a, a gang of men. Now, you know, that people, he got Orient expressed. I think that's highly problematic, Ma. Orient expressed. Well, as far as everybody participating in. Oh, you're yeah. spoiling another movie for people. <laughs> oh, shit i thought uh, you i but it's okay because you we needed to explain it because that it did sound highly problematic because i know the term <laughs> oriental oh is problematic <laughs> so i oh thought an god. orient express was like oh my no. gosh no I, no no not <laughs> no it was a movie reference yeah but it's a movie reference we won't get into it just trust us people and we will not be doing the orient express on this show <laughs> 
<laughs> but so yeah. Since I just ruined the <laughs> ending for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you have any other nerd alerts? Oh, I got I so saw? many nerd alerts. Okay. Okay. Because a lot of I also have like a tasty nugget that Okay, well, I'm just going to, because I got to do these nuggets in my nerd alerts because of the way my notes are, I'll forget about them later. Go for it. So, Elaine May, she, well, let's, let, oh, crap, let me get this. Okay, so the Evidently, movie. Evidently, she's written my note notes I have that even everywhere she cannot read. That go everywhere. She's not on the spectrum. Ah, I'm, I'm, just call me Henry. The budget was for $1.8 million, but by the time it finished, uh, it wrapped, it had ballooned up to $4 million, and it was wow. 40 days over schedule. And then beyond your means. And the editing took 10 months. So <gasps> apparently Elaine May delivered a cut of the film that was 180 minutes long. Three hours and something. And so within that, there was a subplot where Henry finds out that the lawyer and another character who was played by William Hinckley, who got completely cut out of the film, that they were blackmailing Henrietta. And Walter, or not Walter, Henry, Henry. poisons them. Right. And he gets away with murder. And so then at the, well, spoiler alert, then at the end of the movie, when he accepts the the life with Henrietta, that that is viewed as his sentence. His penance. Right, for committing that murder. And he actually committed the murder with Henrietta's um, blessing as well as, please do it for me. Oh, I didn't even know that. Oh, I had read that. That might not be true. So the studio got it, and Robert... The kid stays in the picture, Evans. He recut it. And it has been rumored that Elaine May hid the 180 minute negative under her bed. But no one's ever seen th that whole film. And no one's ever seen the complete shooting script. Is Elaine May still alive? Yeah. And she tried. It might still be under her bed. She tried to get her name off of this movie. Mm hmm. Uns and she unsuccessfully sued Paramount from releasing it. And it was a critical success. Like Ebert gave it four stars. Siskel put it number two on his list of best movies in 1971. And they're notorious because she, in, in Hollywood and stuff and the media, they tend to defend directors and take director sides. But seeing this movie the way it is, they still take her side, but they, they still say, this is a hell of a film. Just cut the way it is. So they are, it's weird because they still take her side, but, and that's kind of how I am. I can't imagine 180 minutes, but yeah. then at the same time, you think of that movie now, you think three hours, but we all watch television shows. We binge them. Yep. So I, when I thought of it as a movie of a three hour movie, I was like, Oh, I don't want to watch that. But then when I thought in terms of, well, if they chopped it up and it was just a chopped up episode, I get to spend 
Because I thoroughly enjoyed Walter Matthau in this. Yeah. And her. Yeah, and her. We'll get to her later. But, yeah. So yeah, She was only the writer, director, you know, conceiver. Yes. So, what, are, what else are my nerd alerts? Um, during production, Howard W. Kosh, the producer, tried to replace her, but she had a $200,000 penalty clause in her contract. That's right. So, they were like, all right, well, she sticks around. She was the only female director working yeah. within the Hollywood system in the 1970s. Yep. The DGA, which was started in 1936, she was the fourth woman to join it. Yep. And I think she's the first female director we've done on Gone with think, the Bushes. Yeah, I think she is. But, I mean, it's not as though there's an infinite bucket of which that we can see films oh, yeah. directed by women in the golden ages. Yeah. Um, where are my other nerd alerts? So... For her other movie, Nikki, Mickey and Nikki, it was, she was fired by Paramount and she hid re two reels of the negatives and the studios had to rehire her. Princess Warrior. Yeah, that's pretty. pretty Warrior pretty. Queen. I mean, she had to be badass. Mm -hmm. and, pe and so she got a, uh, she got a reputation that she was difficult. And there's all these stories. That movie Ishtar, I've never seen it. We have to do it at some point because I so want to see it. I knew about the movie when I started getting into movies in high school as being the biggest flop of all time. Right. Warren That's Beatty, all you heard. Dustin Hoffman. And all I know is that Warren Beatty, Dustin Hoffman, Ishtar biggest flop of all time i didn't know that she directed it and then there's people who they and they started bashing the movie before they even saw it the guy from exactly. far side did comic book strips about it lampooning it and then years later he was on a plane and he watched it and he had to write a whole thing about how he apologized because it he was, was a, he was entertained by the film yeah yeah just all of these things that that if she was Martin Scorsese, it would have added to her myth. And oh, or she's Mike an Nichols. yeah, or Mike Nichols. Oh, she's an auteur. Oh, she's standing up for what she believes in. Could she be? Could she be difficult? Could she maybe be? Maybe do things that you didn't agree with. I mean, a one hundred. You insist on delivering a one hundred and eighty minute romantic comedy. I mean, I would be like, May, what are you doing? But male directors do it. Yeah. Like, it, it isn't like, it isn't just because you're a female that, well, you know, you can't be difficult or you can't, all those things can still be true of you. Well, difficult is in the eye of the beholder. Because well, di difficult could be, I, I just, I want to get it right. So let's do this until we get it right, as opposed to I'm just being a bitch and I'm making you do it again and again because I'm a bitch and I'm on my period right now. Hmm. Yeah, or difficult. Can You can legitimately also, as a woman, be difficult. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
you can be you can have things that are are oh but but she's a genius though and guys get to how many times like terrence malick the stories of him and and doing 100 takes over and over and over again and movies coming in and people not liking it but guess what he still got to direct movies right they still wanted hey terrence what's your next movie gonna be but she gets she wants the same thing and oh i don't we're gonna like we're just gonna erase her from history the fact that i don't even know about this movie I'm not the super. I'm not a Scorsese film buff by any means, but I do think that I have a slightly bigger film knowledge than the than the median of people, slightly right. above average. I had never heard of this film. I knew who Elaine May was. I knew that she was a writer. I knew that she had had written on things and that she was well renowned and well regarded. I didn't know that this was. I didn't know that this movie existed, and with Walter Matthau in it, and then I watch it and I think to myself, I've been in, I've been liking movies for over twenty years, and this has never popped up as a, oh, it's a cult classic. You gotta see this, right? What all I'm of your, all your four years of film and video at Drexel University, you never heard of this film. <sighs> yeah. I mean, maybe I did and it didn't register because it because I hadn't had something to reinforce it. I hadn't, it wasn't, oh, somebody mentioned Harold and Maude and I was like, oh, I'd heard of Harold and Maude from here and then I hear it from here and then I hear it from here. Maybe somebody once said a new leaf, but then there was never an echo of a new leaf anywhere and it just fell out of my consciousness. Okay. More nerd alerts or are you saving them for tasty nuggets? I'm going. It's just only one piece of paper, people, but I decided to write different directions on it. Yeah, it's crackling a lot. Um, Golden Globes, it was nominated for Best Comedy or Musical. It lost to Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, because comedy or musical. Mm-hmm. Elaine May was nominated, but she lost to Twiggy in The Boyfriend. What? Oh. That's wrong. I believe Twiggy is a model, right? Yes. I don't want to disparage her. I don't know. Maybe she's fantastic in The Boyfriend. Um, wow. It was nominated for WGA adapt, Best Adapted Screenplay, and it lost to John Paxton and Koch, which I've never heard of before wow. either. So there okay. are my Tasty Nuggets slash Nerd Alerts. Thank you. Reheatables. Let me find my reheatables on this. I have mine. Would you like my positives or my negatives? Oh, sorry. I forgot one thing. Also, here are um, three notable films that were cut over the director's opposition. The Magnificent Ambersons, Once Upon a Time in America, and Brazil were just a few. There's a longer list, but those were the three that popped out to me. Hmm. Okay. Reheatables. I'm going to go with my negatives. Okay. The whole premise of the movie. To marry a woman in order to kill her to get her money. Interesting. Okay. Um, Naming the plant for him. 
She's been a botanist all her life. And that's, that's what love will do. And uh, she tried to make dinner when they were on their honeymoon. And he uh, says, from now on, dear, I'll make the dinner. Because it was like it was her job to make the dinner and she failed. And so, okay, I'll make the dinner until I kill you. And then I don't have to worry about it anymore. But maybe she's not as dumb as she appears. Uh-huh. You know, Good point. Maybe. Oh, you, you know. Yeah, I just, just can't, I just can't from, cook. From my childhood when you, when you had a project. <laughs> Help me paint this room. Okay. And then you don't like this. Move. Just move. I'll do it. (laughs) All right. Let me just ease on out your way then. (laughs) Hello? She has a way of making that chicken come home to roost. (laughs) I'm just saying. It's true. Okay. And... Oh, my negatives? Yes. Um, how the servants, how she went to shake a servant's hand when he replaced all the servants. And and he was like, no, no, don't be talking to the servants and shaking their hands. That's how you you ruin them. That's how you got into the problem in the first place. Yeah. I was just like, oh, that's kind of tough. You can't treat your, uh, for lack of a better word, help like a human being. And it was rough because the new housekeeper was black. So yeah. I was like, oh. Um, how he takes over the house when he gets married, he's all of a sudden in charge of her whole estate and finances. Uh-huh. Which goes to the whole what is it called? The patriarchy. Because that's mm-hmm. how he, that's how a man establishes wealth without having to lift a finger and work. He just yeah. marries a woman who already has it and then takes it over. And she didn't object at all. She was probably relieved because that obviously is not her strong suit. She's really mm. good at botany and she just wants somebody to take care of that stuff. Okay. Um. And... Well, and then also the bad reheatable. I do, I already went into it about how this isn't a well known movie. Yes. So those yes. were my bad reheatables. And it should be. I mean, it should be right up there with Blazing Saddles. Yes. Okay, my positive ones. Mm-hmm. Battery operated pepper grinder. <laughs> Come on. Um, the whole two minute nightgown shtick. Mm-hmm. Um. Again, the waiter pulling the table out so she could just walk and not have to actually scooch. <laughs> and then uh, when they were when they were camping on their honeymoon, which just is stupid, uh, the mosquitoes only bit him because I know what that's like. Yes, as someone who it has been scientifically proven gets is uh, mosquitoes like me. Well, when um, your puppy and I crossed the Mississippi River and we got gas and so the the whole car filled up with mosquitoes from Mississippi, they only bit me. They didn't care for the dark meat. Ah, telling. You had George Wallace mosquitoes. I'm just saying it it happened. (laughs) What is this? 
What, what was it? Oh my god. Maybe that he was reparations. Reparations. You take them where you can get them. I guess. Is that all? That's my positives. Well, my positives is that it was written, directed, and starring a woman. Bingo. That's a great reheatable. Um, the it's you could tell I don't know, it kind of looks cheesy, but I like it. The, the special effects shot where the uncle's laughing when we first see him. Yeah. I like that. The car not working from carbon on the valves. <laughs> I mean, carbon, that's a huge problem in society. Again, climate change. Yeah. The opening, the opening 20 minutes of this film is fantastic. Specifically, the very first opening live action scene, how it starts and you think that you're in a doctor's office or a hospital mm-hmm. somewhere and his wife is dying, but it turns out it's just the car. <gasps> just the car. This from the daughter of the person who had to take his Italian car to someone who spoke <laughs> Italian when we moved to this area. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm a lot like Walter Matthau. I wonder what, how that happened. <laughs> have no idea um the breadcrumbs in her lap because it was <laughs> reoccurring vacuumed every time she, she had to be vacuumed and then when he was talking to and then later there's a scene where she's walking up in a dress and it has the tags all on it yes. and he has to cut the tags off and so there was something later when when henry's talking to harold <coughs> and it was something about how Oh, she left early and he missed her. And he was like, he says, oh, great. She's walking around with crumbs all over and tags all over her clothes and stuff on the campus. And Harold just says, I, I took, I took care of it, sir. (laughs) I made sure to vacuum her down and cut off the tags. I just love that because I always have crumbs in my lap. I'm like, I don't yeah. even eat bread anymore. How do I have crumbs in my lap? Yeah. Um, and then for my best reheatable, it is what you had as one of your worst. But I said that the plotting to kill a spouse for money was one of my best reheatables because without that, would we have Dateline and 48 Hours well, and 2020s? I'm just, this that's every week, true. there's another case. And I say, yep, there you go. The guy, he's reading the book, checking the books out of the library. He was writing it down in a journal, leaving it behind. I just say, well, forensic, uh, forensic guy is going to find that, buddy. You're... You're not going to get away with this crime. And every time I watch the 2020s and the 48 hours and the datelines, I wonder what chutzpah are these people <laughs> with? Do they have? Where do they get it from? Where they think that they're going to get away with this? Because, you know, they've watched 2020 and dateline people. and the 48 hours. I don't know. I don't think they have. Some, some of um, them have. The ones who are... The ones who are super diabolical and their cases are still being litigated, they have. Mm-hmm. But the the dumb ones, maybe they haven't. I don't know. So those were my those were my good 
yeah, those were my good ones. Okay. My MVP, I've already told you. It was the she vacuum. Has to be vacuumed every time she eats. <laughs> That's hilarious. I have two. I already told you one. My first MVP is the whole I'm poor montage where he says goodbye to all it his is. things. It was great. Goodbye to my good life. Before we did the podcast, I rewound it and I watched that scene again because just him saying, I'm poor. And then I'm him poor. saying, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> if I were rich and suddenly became poor, I would do that. <laughs> it, is so, it is so something I would do. My second MVP, which is really my first MVP, is Elaine May's performance. Because I yeah. said all this podcast about Walter Matthau's performance, but Elaine May's performance, it's great because she, she's so generous. She's yes. just... She's playing this character who it's she's really funny, but you have to be watching. She does these things with the gloves and the, the physical comedy, but then she's also very flighty. So you can find yourself getting a little irritated with her because you're just like, seriously, it's so, like you seriously can't figure this out. But she's so good at the physical stuff and she's just. She's very comfortable with just being this role and letting Walter Matthau have yeah. all of the glory. Yep. And that's what she did with Nichols in May because Mike Nichols was horrible at improv. Well, I guess I shouldn't say he was horrible at improv. That what, improv wasn't his strong suit. And everybody says how generous she was because she could just go with anything. So he had to go, he had to steer the, the skits in the direction that he wanted to because he knew what he was capable of. And he said this himself. And she was just a professional. She could do it. Um, she was working with a very well-known problematic director. And he said that she was a genius because she came in. She was on time. She would say her lines just the way that you had them written. Or she could ad-lib and do the funniest ad-lib. It didn't matter. You want me to ad-lib? I'll ad-lib. You, oh, you want to exactly how you wrote it i'll deliver it exactly how you wrote it tell me how you want it that's how you get it and it's such it's such underrated next to walter Matthau, it's easy to to not really see her performance and what she's right. doing but it's crazy but i have a bad reheatable which is a blanket reheatable to all these movies from old times I guess maybe what seventy one is old. Well, I'm gonna say like what two thousand from two thousand, maybe two thousand five okay. and and beyond, is the people's teeth. Not that I mean they're just really yellow compared to now. Yeah, if you're used to consuming things and seeing everybody has whitening and everything, so people's teeth are a lot whiter, and when you see. That and they used to have the what was it, mercury or what was the gray stuff that the metal that they put the fillings they didn't have the white fillings, mm -hmm. so a lot of tea. My mouth was full of them, yeah, you know. And it just I noticed that in Taxi Driver, De Niro's yeah. teeth, I was like, man, yeah. those are really yellow, 
Yeah. And then I noticed that in this movie. And I'm like, oh, man. It's guys. what naturally happens. But yes. you live in Los Angeles where nature doesn't happen. Well, also, I mean, Los Angeles, the teeth that we see, it's the, most of those teeth aren't their teeth. It's veneers. Their teeth have been removed and they've gotten veneers placed in. Right. And also, probably, I would bet that they even like color correct people's teeth. Right. And in society in general, people's teeth are whiter. Just yes. from, I mean, you would Pressed go. white strips. Yeah, 19, you. 1971, you, you go to the toothpaste. Did you have toothpaste or was it just baking soda? We had toothpaste, little girl. Okay, but it wasn't crest whitening. Cool. No, it wasn't. Cool nothing game was whitening. whitening. No. Yeah. So it was you all anti-cavity. Yeah, no, it's Colgate anti-cavity whitening. Okay, recasting. Okay. So I was going to do a gender reverse on this. Oh. And then I went, no, that's every movie that's ever been made. The woman <laughs> trying to marry the rich man. And then killing, trying to kill him. Yeah. So I didn't do that. I went with Henry, mm -hmm. Jamie Foxx. Okay. He could be curmudgeon -y. Yeah. Henrietta. Now, this person is not a dorky person, but she could totally play the dorky person. Mm -hmm. And she could give the generous performance that lets Jamie Foxx shine. Okay. Tarashi. Yes, I yes, can see that. Totally could. Mm -hmm. Harold Jordan Peele. All right, I can see that. Anne McPherson, the Wexton dude. Mm -hmm. Kevin Hart, because he was just such an overperformer. Yeah, I could see that. I could see That's that. That's my, those are my recastings. All right. I had for, uh, for Henry, I came up with three names. Okay. Steve Martin. Yes. Gene Wilder. Yes. Gene Wilder would have been hilarious. Oh my God, yes. And Richard Pryor. Yes. As, as the rich guy. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. only came up with one name for a woman, but I could come up with more. But to me, when I came up with her, I said, that's it. Okay. This, what could have been? Gilda Radner. I knew you were going <laughs> to say that. I knew it. <laughs> Yes, she would have been perfection. Oh, man. She would have been perfection with any of those three. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, man. Oh, my God, she would have been so funny. And then... Although she might have taken a little bit away from the Henry part because she would be so freaking funny. Oh, yeah. Without, be, without being overacting. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, very true. Oh, can you imagine Richard Pryor and Gilda Radner? 
in oh, the be so good the movie that would never have really ever been made but would oh, have been because so he was going to kill a white woman yeah, yeah that, that would not go <laughs> that well that would have been hilarious yeah, it would have been hilarious <laughs> it would have been that's gonna be one of my all hey what what movie would you have loved to have been made but they never would have made richard a new leaf remake <laughs> richard with richard pryor, pryor gilda killing gilda radner yeah. with as my herald, James Mason. <laughs> of course. That was my Although recast. he'd have to take a drink once in a while. I mean, Harold did drop a, a bunch of plates So, in okay. the movie. We don't know what Harold did. Mm-hmm. I mean, in real life, he's... Mm-hmm. Moving on. He's problematic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so th- that's your recasting. Yes. Okay, the only tasty nuggets I had were, was the drastically recut, shortened, butchered version. That's according to her. Mm-hmm. And they wanted, the studio wanted Christopher Plummer to be Henry. Christopher Plummer was the father yes, yes. in The Sound of Music. <sighs> but he wouldn't have no. been as funny. No. It would have no. been way more serious, unless yeah. it would have been a defining, a career-defining moment for Christopher Plummer. No, I, no. But Walter Matthau, because he's not, he just has, he's always had Walter Matthau face. Yeah. Some actors. Christopher Plummer would play it straight, you he know? He would. And Walter Matthau was like. And didn't yeah. The Sound of Music come out before this? 60s so yeah yeah so so everybody would see yeah the whatever he was i forget what his name Mm -hmm. they'd be like edelweiss is trying to kill his wife yeah and then they would be like wait a second what happened to his wife (sighs) and then the sound of music is ruined for everyone yeah Hmm. well there you have it have you any tasty nuggets or did you uh, explode on nerd alerts? I exploded on nerd alerts. Well, okay. So yesterday, close to this time, Aaron and I were talking and I went, oh my God, I have to pick a movie. So I went with it. I mean, I thought about it when I was laying in bed and I went with, it's time for us to do this. What? But then. No. After after reading the the thing you sent me on Elaine May, <gasps> yeah, we're doing it. We're doing Ishtar. We're doing Ishtar. Yes. Yes, we are. We're gonna see what the hubbub was about, and we're gonna put our spin on it. Nineteen eighty-seven. Whenever Ishtar was made. Nineteen eighty <laughs> Ishtar. Can we can we get it in iTunes? Uh I'm. Pretty sure. I'm. I think. I mean, vamp. Oh, okay. You're looking it up. I'm looking it up. Okay. Well, I just thought that you know Elaine May has not gotten her due, and she really didn't want. Um, she didn't want the world to acknowledge her. She was just happy doing her thing, and she would say, "Could you leave my name out of the interview? Can you leave my name out?" So let's just see what this Ishtar stuff is all about. Let's just see. All right, my. Now here's the question. 
there's Ishtar and there's Ishtar director's cut. Which one are we going to watch? Oh my God. The director's cut must be about five hours. Let me see. The director's cut is um, one hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. And what is the regular cut? The regular cut is one hour and 47 minutes. Interesting. Well, I'd like to do the director's cut because that's the way she wanted it done. I hope so. So, all right, we're doing the director's cut. Director's cut, Ishtar. I'm writing that down, people, so that I don't forget on Thursday when I go, what are we doing? 1987. Written and directed by Elaine May, producer Warren Beatty. I mean, it had Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman. I know. I'm so glad they were doing this because I was like, well, when is my turn? We're doing Ishtar. (laughs) Because, I mean, I didn't see it because it was panned before it even came out. I've never seen it. All I know is that it's the biggest box office bombs. Ishtar. So we will see. And we will let you know next week. We will. But I do seriously suggest if you want to spend an hour and 42 minutes laughing. <laughs> you know get what? Yourself, get yourself in a comfy space. You know, let, let all of the of our current climate go away and just enjoy the, the, the non-speaking parts even. Just the physical comedy of it. Just have fun. Enjoy. You're welcome. Elaine May. Well, there you go. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) Next week, people. (laughs) Bye-bye.